Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lemarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Meade, your Ohio State cover team from Cleveland.com. Let's get right to it. We've got six questions from our tech subscribers, and then we're going to talk about the plans for Ohio State starting to slowly reopen and what a season in the fall might look like. We had a conference call with Gene Smith on Wednesday. I thought it shed a lot of light on things. We keep trying to give you fun football content and some coronavirus updates. These were real updates, but we're going to do that in the second half of the pod. So if you're really interested in all that stuff, what the plans are, make sure you stick around until the end. If you're not as interested in that, we're going to dive in with some football stuff. But some of these football questions are interestingly related to the coronavirus and what a season might look like. Again, this is uh, Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Be a tech subscriber by texting 614-350-3315. Drop a review. Could use some more reviews. Have uh, have had some, some, some trickling in, but always could use more. Appreciate that. Drop those at Apple Podcasts. Here we go. Question number one with Doug, Nathan, and Steven. It seems like we have a loaded roster with a real shot of winning the Natty this year. Assuming this isn't a normal football season, and again, we'll get into that later, isn't a normal football season across the country, and we end up winning the Natty, will this always be viewed as an asterisk title? I think that's a very interesting question. Nathan, would the national championship this year, if it is not a full, normal 12-game with non-conference games, Everybody playing together. If it's not completely normal, does it come with an asterisk? So if everybody plays the same kind of schedule, then no, it won't be an asterisk title. You know what I'm saying? If every conference in the Power Five all just play conference games, then whoever wins a national title wins a legitimate national title. So under that circumstance, I don't think it's an asterisk. Now, if Ohio State wins a national championship when – some schools play non-conference games and some don't, and they don't, or some schools don't even play, some conferences don't even play, um, then absolutely it's an asterisk title. And the reason that I know that that is true is because Ohio State fans would absolutely be saying that Clemson winning a national championship this year when Ohio State doesn't play would absolutely make that an asterisk title for Clemson. Steven. I think it's an asterisk title if it's just conference games because all the conferences aren't equal. Like, Clemson's going to blow every – if we only play conference games, then Clemson's going to blow everybody out and get into the playoff pretty easily because there's no non-conference games. I think regardless – but that's not the point. The point is whoever wins this national championship, if it's only conference games, people are going to look back and go, this was the year because of what was going on in the real world, there was a change in the schedule 
And so it was a shortened season. And so things were just different. And you're always going to be reminded of that when you think of the 2019 season, if there's a change in the schedule. Is the Spurs 99 NBA title in a 50-game season an asterisk yes. title? That's what, yes. It is. It I is? think it is an asterisk title. Who not, says it, that? Who they, says that? Yes. It, I think – when you a, count up title, when you, titles, you put an asterisk on one of them? No, but you are reminded of the fact that that was a shortened season. In 2012, when Miami did it again, you're also – when you go look at it, you're reminded that it wasn't a full 82-game season. But what's season. the asterisk about it? I'm What's the asterisk to it? Yes, it's not as long of a season, but but what's the asterisk? It's It's a reminder that it wasn't how things are normally done. You think it's a lesser title. Asterisk title to me implies lesser. Or or that it's it, it's like the old with the most famous asterisk in sports was was for years when Roger Maris's 61 home runs had an asterisk by it, right? Because he had more games to hit those 61 than Babe Ruth did when he hit 60. That's what it implies to me is that you had some kind of benefit to help you achieve something tangible that the person you beat out didn't but so the, in this case if everybody's playing the same thing i don't know why that would be an asterisk i, I do not at all <clears throat> think it's an asterisk because asterisks i think you're right nathan it applies when you're comparing like across history but within this right if people are doing the same thing to get to the same place i don't know i i do not think i, I completely disagree that shortened NBA seasons are viewed in any real way as an asterisk title. I, I, I don't get that sense at, at all. I would think that there would just need to be context added to that championship. But what's the That's context? What I, of course you that know it's not a, normal. But not normal does not automatically imply lesser. Like you're going to put an asterisk – I mean, of course, you know, the coronavirus happened. Here's my thing. First of all, I think, do you believe they would have to make a playoff adjustment if they only play non-conference games? And I'll start off and say, yes, I think they would. I think if in a world where there are yeah. four playoff spots for five conference champions, I think if there aren't non-conference games, then I think you might have a like a 16 playoff or an 18 playoff that you say, well, listen, we can't decide between Oklahoma and Ohio State, who both went undefeated in their conference seasons, but we have to pick one. We're going to make a slight adjustment to that. So, But the other thing is, if the question is, would Ohio State's title be an asterisk title? I think the much bigger issue for Ohio State would be, like, Ohio State didn't get in because – because, listen, the SEC champs getting in, Clemson is getting in. The idea that Clemson's only going to play non-conference games and that's going to be easier, that's the same as it is now. Their schedule, I mean, their schedule's easy now. I think the bigger issue, if you're worried about even playing fields and the effect on Ohio State, I almost think that, like, if Ohio State's in, it can't be an asterisk title because you know the SEC and Clemson are in. What I would be concerned about as Ohio State, an Ohio State fan is something goes wonky and then you feel like, holy crap, Ohio State got screwed. But I just don't – I don't think – I don't think it is going to be an asterisk title. And I'll say this is my caveat. If a team doesn't get in because one of its best players tested positive for coronavirus and couldn't play for a length of time, 
or if that happened multiple times, if Ohio State wins the national title, but Trevor Lawrence missed three games with a positive coronavirus test, um, Michigan missed three offensive linemen, you know, like that there's multiple things throughout the season where there are guys who are sick and not playing, then I think maybe. But in terms of like how many games you play or what, is it conference or non-conference only? I don't think that's an asterisk at all. You know, there are eras in American sports history where the leagues were compromised, whether it's college football. College football had some some some, some significant changes because of World War II. Um, you know, baseball and some other sports obviously had it where, you know, you remember the, those those periods are remembered for the fact that some of the best players were overseas and it, it changed the way the teams were sometimes put together. Um, but I don't think that people just discount those championships. But what I do think will change it is, and, and the thing that's still out there that we don't know yet is what if the Pac-12 just doesn't play this year? I think people in the Pac-12, somebody at Oregon with the talent that they have is going to be, hey, hold on. Okay, you guys won a national championship, but we didn't get a fair shot with, with a pretty great team. And I think that's a fair thing for them to gripe about. If, I don't if, think it. I don't think it. I don't think it. It doesn't take away the title, but that's where, in their minds, there's going to be that asterisk. That I would agree with. If it's like, well, instead of 65 power conference teams, there were only 48 that even played. That's a, that's a separate issue. I mean, if it's if it's just like, well, we only played eight games, I think it's fine. If it's like we only played non-conference games, I think it's fine. If it's like three of the five conferences or two, of the, you know, half the Big Ten didn't play, the SEC played. Two-thirds of the ACC played, half the Big 12 played, and the Pac-12 didn't play at all. That, I mean, that's a whole different situation. But I am not – that's not what's leaping to mind to me of what I'm expecting it to look like. I, I am at the moment more having an expectation of shortened, schedule-adjusted, adjustment of fans in the stands, but at the moment, assuming the rest of it will be – fairly similar to what this is now. And then to me, it would, it would not be that issue. All right. Number two, again, along these lines from the eight, four, eight, uh, from the four, eight, four, that first one, by the way, was from the seven, one, four, really good question from the four, eight, four. If there is a football season this year, will our players be ready? I've read your articles about how some are improvising their workouts at home, but it's not like being on campus following conditioning workouts. The staff has put in place for them. I think it will be very hard for them to be at full potential. Um, also, do you guys proofread your articles you write before releasing them? I've read some where words are misspelled and sentences are incomplete. Uh, we try to. Um, I'm not saying we're perfect. I read my stories like a freaking robot, right? That's how I edit myself. I try to read that each word is on its own. Um, the Buckeyes are playing A. So that's how I edit myself. Steven, do you think players will be ready or do you think there is great concern in your mind that like, no, I, I think there's going to be a drop off in performance level because they can't be prepared. I think they're going to be ready because I've, you know, I think physically, I think when they get back, when they do get back on campus, and as long as they're, if things get back to the point where there's a normal fall camp or some level of a normal fall camp and uh, Mick can get them to the point where they're, they're kind of fast-tracking the physical aspect of this to kind of make up for what they lost for two months of not being on campus. I think they can be ready. I think they can be ready physically if, if Mick Marotti can do his job there. I think they'll definitely be ready from just 
knowing the plays aspect because it's not like these guys were sitting around just watching cartoons for the last two months. A lot of these guys, even if they didn't necessarily have the things to stay physically in shape, they were on Zoom calls. They were going through plays, and they had their playbook and, and doing the necessary things. To when fall camp does arrive here, they're not starting from you know step one when they get back on the football field. There's going to be an expectation that you do need if you're a wide receiver, you do need to know what route you're going to be running on a certain play. You do need to know what your your scheme is going to be defensively. A quarterback does need to know the playbook to a certain extent once if they do get a some level of a fall camp. So I think they'll still be ready. It might look a little bit uglier in week one than it usually already does. But I think for the most part, they'll still be ready to play football. Nathan. Everybody's in the same boat right now. Everybody has, is at this point really dealing with the same shutdown, the same period of time. I know at the beginning there was some, some teams that weren't shutting down as early as others. And there were some teams that got longer springs, but for, for the most part, everybody's in the same boat. So are they going to be under the same preparation schedule as they normally would be? No. But I think there's enough concern out there about student-athlete well-being that they're going to give plenty of time for teams to get ready for whatever season there is to be played. And if that means sacrificing a game or two, that'll probably happen, um, though that may have to happen just because of the, the, the virus itself. Um, but I think it, – it's so it's not going to affect Ohio State any more than it'll affect any other team. And I actually think Ohio State – the way that they're built, the way that they're put together, and just kind of the um, this coaching staff from what I've gleaned from them over the past year, I think they just kind of have some savvy to them. I think, and then it goes beyond that, obviously, with, with Mickey Marathi and, and the whole enterprise over there. So I, I think Ohio State will probably actually be better prepared than a lot of their peers um, just because of the things they've been able to implement and the attention that they've paid to this from the beginning. Are you guys anticipating more injuries, like like more pulled hammies, yeah, more oblique so. strains, stuff like that? I think so. It's, I think in practice, in those first couple of days of fall camp, especially, just because it's already hot and you're not nearly used to you know working at that type of high level that they're going to be have, pushing them at, and they're probably going to do be doing some pretty extreme things just from a conditioning standpoint to get them caught up to speed. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these guys are, at the very minimum, cramping up a lot. I think that happens anyway, though, and I think I actually think it might be the other way. I think that because of the situation, there is so much um, thought put into things like this now, that making sure guys are acclimating the right way. I know when I covered high school sports, this became a huge topic about making sure you're acclimating to heat and acclimating to stuff when you're bringing students back for the fall summit you know the the beginning of august when those sports started and i think that's that's at all levels of sport now so i actually think that there may be almost an abundance of caution to bring guys along bring the players along at the right speed to to have them ready i'm not sure that i think it's going to be a epidemic of soft tissue injuries or anything this year I know, like, for the Browns last year, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams both pulled hammies, uh, I think, at the end of camp and missed, missed games or, or early in the season, missed multiple games early in the season based on hamstring injuries. Um, I think so much of this is that these guys never get out of shape anymore because they go from the season, mm-hmm. they have a little bit of time off, then they have winter conditioning, then they have a little break, then they have spring football, then they have a little break, then their work, they stay on campus and they're working out. Um, all summer, and they're all, they've had a break, like a significant break, and whatever they're doing at home is not the level of what they normally do. I just think the idea of like 
for four or five years at, at Ohio State, normally, like, you're never, you're never at less than peak physical condition any day of the year. And that that has happened. I think ramping back up in August, there might be some then, but I think it's even more about the season of, like, I think maybe they will be cautious ramping them back up in August, but then when you get to September and it's time to go and, you know, you're you're trying to turn and run with the receiver and coverage on the field and it's like now you're really letting it loose. I don't know. I just I just could imagine that. That the idea of they're this is the the least amount they've worked out, all of them. I mean in in years. And we all in know their that, life probably, in their life probably and we all know football. that they're they're doing their best, but they're just not doing it as much. At least some of them aren't doing it as much as if they had, you know, Mickey Marotti right next to him. So um, I, I think it's something you have to be really aware of. I don't know that there's a solution because it's already happened. The shutdown has already happened. They'll ramp up the best they can whenever they start. I don't know that having a four or five week ramp up compared to six weeks, Gene Smith was sort of talking about that. You'd like to have six. We could probably do it with just four or five weeks. Um, I think it's more about the shutdown that's already occurred. So I, I don't think it's the end of the world, but I just would be a little ready for a little increase in stuff like that. Really good Michigan question coming at the end of this. If you're not super interested in the coronavirus stuff, wait till question six. It is a very intriguing question about Ohio State and a critique from Michigan, Michigan people. Stick around for that. Number three. Do you think we have passed the day of a Rose Bowl win or Cotton Bowl win, like the ones Ohio State had recently over Washington and USC, that they really just don't matter anymore? I find myself watching these old games going, oh, yeah, that happened, but, man, we should have been in the playoff. In my opinion, the question of would you rather lose in the playoff or win the Rose Bowl was put to rest this year. Do you agree? The age-old question, I am always stunned by it. We haven't done it lately, I don't think, on this podcast. But particularly to the point of these big, the big non-playoff bowl wins, are they getting less and less important every year? Nathan, I'm not sure we've had this particular discussion since you've been on the beat. It's an oldie but a goodie. But in this playoff era, seeing what happened with Ohio State losing the semifinal last year, do you think bowl wins are even less important for a program like Ohio State? Yes. I think they are. I, I think context is important here, though, right? Because there's going to be some years where you have a team like last year where it's kind of national championship or bust from the beginning, right? Or at least playoff or bust. If that team hadn't made the playoff last year, that would have been seen as a, a, a failure of some kind. And even to, in some people's mind, getting into the playoff and not getting a national championship is still seen as, as a shortcoming. But I think there's going to be other teams where you don't have that kind of – you didn't have that one big – recruiting class with the kind of talent that it had plus Justin Fields coming in on top where maybe the expectations are if you were to lose a game along the way and then you're the fifth team out of the four teams that gets into the playoffs and then you go win the Rose Bowl in a convincing way uh, maybe it's even just a one-loss season but that that still can have that still won't wouldn't necessarily be seen as a failure but I think the Rose Bowl you know winning a Big Ten title or going to the Rose Bowl and winning may be the one exception, right? Because I think almost any other bowl game that Ohio State would win at this point under the context of any season would be seen sort of like the football equivalent of winning the NIT. Like, you, you, okay, you accomplished something, but you almost don't even want to brag about it because it's so far below the standard that you've set. 
So my rebut my rebuttal to that would be when's the last time Ohio State had a season like that where there wasn't a playoff expectation? So like theoretically Yeah, I mean your 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 context of that would be would be better than mine. I understand what you're saying. I'm just hypothetically I mean, they lost every year is a playoff or bus season for Ohio State. And, and that's the reason the, they going didn't forward, get, I agree with in, you. Yes, it, Stephen, I agree with you. Yeah, that's that's always the case. The problem is they keep losing games they shouldn't lose, and that's why they have not been – it's been bust, and it has been a failure. And I think players feel that way as well. Games like – bowls like the Rose Bowl don't have the same luck that they had years ago where that was the main objective, was to win the Big Ten and to get to the Rose Bowl. Of course. I guarantee. Well, I remember us asking these a lot of these players about their thoughts about the Rose Bowl, and it, the case is this: you either make the playoff. If I'd, I guarantee you, there is not a single player on that team who would go, "Oh, I'd rather win the Rose Bowl and not make the playoff." I'd rather lose in the playoff because that they all go. I'd rather lose in the playoff because that means we put ourselves in a position to win a national championship. There was definitely a feeling after the thirty-one nothing loss to Clemson after the two thousand sixteen season. That's when this became a big topic. That there were some fans who were like, man, I'd rather go win a bowl game than have that happen. And it's one of those things that gets discussed. It always amazes me that anybody would have that attitude. I'd rather be in the mix than be on the outside looking in and win by what in comparison is a meaningless game. But I think I wonder if the context has switched, and it's why I think this is a worthwhile question right now. If the context has switched for fans coming off this type of playoff loss, that this was a heartbreaking devastating, memorable playoff loss that will stick in the minds of Ohio State fans forever. But would anyone say, well, I would have rather gone and won the Rose Bowl, right? Like that it just so happened when we had the, when we had the conversation before, Ohio State had only been in the playoff twice. The first time they won it, the second time they got smoked. So now we have this third data point for fans to think about. But of course, bowls have value. Of course, bowls have fun. I think this might only apply to three teams. The idea that, like, eh, bowls. Like, I think as much as we talk about that top tier, I still think, like, Oklahoma and Georgia would not turn up their nose at a good bowl win. I think Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State are at the point in the playoff era of, like, eh, bowl win, cool, not the point. And... Would there be like a rare, rare, rare year where Ohio State and Ohio State fans would say, yeah, we knew we weren't really a playoff contender. We're happy with our good bowl win. Maybe like maybe 2021 is that season with a new quarterback, but I still doubt that people are going to feel that way. I just, I just think every Ohio State fan, player, coach, of course, coach and players, but we could be more realistic on the outside. I just think everybody around Ohio State has a playoff expectation and that bowls are nice um, consolation prizes, but it is it is never going to be anything other than that going forward. And that is, I think, only applies to three programs. Winning a bowl game and not making the playoff just gives you the comfort in being able to live in the what-if reality and say, oh, we should have been in and we could have done, been done better than whoever, whatever seed did get blown out. While in 2016, I think because it because of the way that went, you know, you actually found out, you know, how you stacked up in comparison to other the other top programs in the country. While when it's the vice versa, you don't actually have to go out there and prove it. You can just kind of 
live in the world of, oh, we would have done better than that team if given the opportunity. Nathan, what do you think of that part of the discussion? No, I think you're right. And, and, and certainly what we're seeing right now with Ohio State and the way that it's recruiting, the position it's putting itself in year in and year out, you're right. I mean, I, it, it, it's going to be, I think, everyone's assumption every year that this team makes a, a you know, is in position to be in that playoff hunt. Um, I, leave, I leave open the door for some interruption to that, that were maybe that, that the, you would have a different perspective on that. But I think you're right. And I, I certainly agree that what Stephen was saying, and maybe I think maybe what the, um, the, the question was getting at, that you're not ever going to take a Rose Bowl win over a playoff loss, no matter what it is, because of what it means for just the whole context of your season. But people were, after 2016, there were absolutely people who said that. 100% there were Ohio State fans who were like, I'd rather win the Rose Bowl than do that. And I think the, re- the the way they lost played the reason into why. If had they lost thirty one to twenty, course, I don't think no, people course, would have said obviously. that. But but I don't care. Like I still, uh, but that to me is a whole point of wouldn't you still rather be in the mix? You're in the mix for four weeks, for three four weeks leading up to that. You're in the discussion. That game, going into that game, the betting line was practically a, a pick'em for Ohio State yeah. Clemson. Go find all the Ohio State beat writers who picked Ohio State to beat Clemson in twenty sixteen. Yes, it sucked for three hours. Of course, the score matters. But, like, I just think I hope this reset the expectations a little bit that I still would rather have my team, if I was a fan, I'd rather be in the conversation, get excited, build up to the game, and have a lousy three hours than for a month be like, oh, cool, they're getting ready for the playoff. Here, we're playing this bowl where we have no chance to win the national championship no matter what happens. But at least I think we have a better chance of beating Washington than we – then we do a beat in Clemson. I just, yes, the, the score affects it, but, and that's, I mean, it did, it did change things, but I just think, man, you got to be in the mix, brother. God, the whole point of life is to be in the mix. What we don't have right now, the shutdown is people missing being in the mix to voluntarily be like, no, I'm good. Rose Bowl, good. Yeah. Let's, Can't score let's if you do don't that. shoot the ball, man. Can't yeah. score if you don't shoot the ball. I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. I, I just I find it interesting that some some of the same people who would have really, really, really high preseason expectations would then, after the playoff loss, retroactively say, well, I would have rather have just gone to the Rose Bowl. Like that, to me, well, I, yeah. don't, I don't really understand that. Like you have to be consistent. Stick. You have to be consistent with well, the, the level you're holding yourself to. And by getting to the playoff, you're playing the other three best teams in the country, in theory. So there's a, there's a chance that you're going to get your butt kicked. Um, if you if things don't go your way, that's the whole point of making the playoff. And in, in some ways, that you're playing against the kind of team for once, maybe the only time all season that could potentially kick your butt. And it doesn't mean that once your team loses in the regular season and doesn't make the playoff, it doesn't mean that you don't watch the Rose Bowl. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy the Rose Bowl. That was great. Urban Meyer went out at the Rose Bowl. He'd never coached in the Rose Bowl before. It was awesome. But it definitely wasn't as good as the alternative. So you can still enjoy it, but like to act like, well, I'd rather have that than risk that 2018 defense going and getting killed by Clemson. I'm glad we didn't have to do that. And again, there was with the lingering effect of 2016, there was some feeling about that in 2018. We couldn't compete with Clemson. So I'd rather beat Washington than have Trevor Lawrence pick apart our defense. I just think that's wrong. Number four, we talked about books on the last podcast on our big Rutgers preview on Wednesday. Now we're talking about video games from the 319. Did we already do video games? We did not. Okay. 
Do any of you guys play video games? If so, what are your favorites, and do you have opinions on the next generation of consoles? Nathan, I'm assuming you're a pass on this question. Do you do any video games? I used to play a lot of video games when I was younger, but I I, I don't have a console at all. I had an Xbox a while back, and when it got the red ring of death, I just never had it fixed. And uh, I, I have too many other interests that take up the time. I don't have time to play video games. Steven? I play video games in my spare time. Um, I play. I have gone from a PlayStation 2 to Xbox 360 and PS4, and I think I'm going to stick with Sony from here on out because you know Microsoft has just fallen behind in the in the video game atmosphere of things. I like sports games mostly though, so 2K. I literally only still have the 360 because of the Xbox 360 because I want to play NCAA 14, and I'm still waiting on those updated rosters so I can prove once and for all that I picked the better team over Nathan. Stay tuned. I'm still gonna. I'm still gonna send that game. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly just sports games. So I was in a Fortnite uh, hole of doom for a while last year. Uh, we have a. I think we had we had a PlayStation Three then, and so I was sucked in on that. Not a good scene for a middle-aged man. I was terrible at Fortnite, but I couldn't stop trying to get better. Um, I just would go stand on top of mountains and snipe people. And once I got, you know, oh. if I could hide in a bush and snipe like two people and then try to make it to the final 10 or something and then get killed right away. Um, my friends and I in college were, were sort of like if anyone's watched the movie Swingers, which is like if you're under the age of 50, you probably didn't watch it. But they played a EA Sports NHL game in that movie. Like, and that was our life. We played um, a lot of college. In college, we played a lot of video game hockey and tried to like check each other and make each other's heads bleed and stuff. So two of my friends and I, when the pandemic started, um, we all updated our systems. We got PlayStation 4s. We got the latest NHL game. And now we have three men in their mid-40s um, who sit around and play online hockey against each other and swear at each other and uh, act like very old men. We thought maybe we were going to like do that um, during the pandemic and like record it and put it on a YouTube channel. Um, not smart. One of my friends is a, is a sports writer and the other one's a TV writer. And we thought we could be like, have some interesting little banter, but given my personal brand that I have worked so hard to establish on Buckeye talk in the last five years, I was a little concerned about the number of F bombs that you would hear me say playing hockey. Right. I mean, I'm a family friendly on this. I can't be F bombing my friends on hockey. Right. I'm happy-go-lucky yeah. Doug. I yeah, can't be F-bomb hockey Doug. It's probably smart you didn't do that. I'm in a Madden league that we started, and we play one game a day. Um, I believe that if somebody recorded the way I act when I play Madden, I could single-handedly get Madden to actually work on their game and improve it. Just because you think the game itself? It's such a bad football game. It's so unrealistic. The I cornerbacks can't... are better wide receivers than the wide receivers. Everything is an interception. Nice. I saw something. Did somebody win an online football championship the other the other week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The esports is still the throw a pass. He ran in every game the whole time. That's smart. You cannot throw the ball. You can't. If you throw the ball longer than fifteen yards, a free safety is going to pick it off. Um, and but mostly I'm afraid to get into video games more because I'm afraid of what it would do to my life, and I have too many other things I need to do, including like you know, be a father. Uh, so, um, I, like, I was going to get that Red Dead Redemption where you ride around on a horse and shoot people. 
that came yeah. out a couple years ago. I was going to get that because it was on sale on the PlayStation 4 during the pandemic. And I was like, ooh, I can ride a horse and shoot people. Then I was like, then that would be my whole life. I would be up from like midnight till 4 a.m. trying to find another, uh, I don't know, find the sheriff or something. I don't know what to do. So I need to keep myself away from video games to keep my life in order. Um, all right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with three more questions on Buckeye Talk. Um, no, two more questions. A basketball question, then a question about Michigan football, and then we'll get into our discussion about what it might look like this fall, how Ohio State is preparing for life uh, during coronavirus. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Question five, Stephen, mostly for you from the 706 basketball question. Do you all think that the Buckeyes picked up transfers too early? Because most of the players that are transferring now or transferring this late are better than the last two that they got. So they got the guy who was like the former walk-on at Utah State, and they got the Bucknell guy. Um, Steven, is there actually a larger, better pool of dudes now that maybe the Buckeyes could have been in on? I don't think anybody's going to argue with Seth Towns, right? That dude yeah. can play. But did they maybe jump the gun? I think as far as their backcourt is concerned, yes, there is a large downgrade in the backcourt. It's basically – all, what Holtman is telling this is Dwayne Washington, Dwayne Washington and C.J. Walker are not coming off of the floor the entire game. There's always going to at least be one of them, and they're probably going to play 35-plus minutes each. So there's going to be five minutes where one's on the court and the other one's not at, in, throughout the entire game. Because it's a, the, you lo- obviously you lose Luther Muhammad and C.J. DJ Carton, but what you added in that room are is one guy who's – Utah State, and he wasn't a scorer. He wasn't a great passer. I don't know what he brings to the Big Big Ten that's going to, you know, improve this team's chances of winning a national championship or even winning a Big Ten championship. And then Soto's not going to play next year. He's not going to be eligible to play until the 21-22 season. So you're basically saying it's going to be a two-man job in the backcourt. But other than that, I mean, you don't argue with Seth Towns. As long as he's healthy and back to normal, he's going to be amongst your leaders in scoring. And Justice Sewing was already on the roster and was a sit one play two player. Are there actually basically just in the backcourt? Are there more? Are, are there more guys in the transfer portal now? Like, ha- has there been an influx? Are there guys that you would think, if Ohio State had space, they could be in on? I don't think so. No, not that Ohio State would. They were in on some guys with the same level of player in the backcourt. So that necessarily it, in the in, for Ohio State situation, it doesn't matter. Okay, so the question was, did they kick, take these guys too early when if they would have waited, they could have gotten better guys? So actually your answer to that is no. Is no. No. They got, they, they got what they were looking for in the transfer portal. It just wasn't game-changing no. dudes. The only, no. It's correct. Okay. Question number six. I can't – I don't have the I, – I lost the phone number. I corresponded with this person because I wanted to clarify their question. So – They're excited for the answer. You know who you are. Thank you for sending in this question. I'm going to preface it by saying they mentioned a particular Michigan media member who covers Michigan that had a quote about this. I did not find that quote specifically. So I'm not going to mention the person's name because it's not that I don't trust our texter. It's just that I didn't have it. I couldn't double check it. But we're going to use this media member as a straw man for this general idea, which I think is possible that it would be a general idea that maybe fans of Michigan might feel this. And I think it's a very interesting question. So person who sent this, just so you know that, but they said there was a Michigan media member a few weeks ago that said Ryan day should have a sticker 
on the back of all Ohio State players' phones that reads, Ohio State, a perennial power that should probably be in the playoff each year, and then they get in and they lose. So he's saying that should be Ohio State's, like, slogan. We're a perennial power, we're supposed to get in the playoff, and then we get in the playoff and we lose. This Ohio State fan, this tech subscriber is saying, why is that take still getting under my skin weeks later? Is it fact or fiction, that take? So the idea that this Michigan person would have this take on Ohio State, I have a very strong answer on this. Nathan, we'll start with you. When you hear that, the idea that that someone associated or – and it's not a Michigan coach or player or anything like that. It's just a media member. We're just media members. Who cares what we think? But that take from anybody around Michigan, okay, Ohio State, you're supposed to be good, but then you get there and you don't get the job done. Why do you think – should that make Ohio State fans mad? I think it probably should and does make them mad, but I isn't it because there's also sort of a kernel of truth to it? Like they have, as we talked about before, they have the playoff expectations every year that this is a team that if it doesn't make the playoff, it's because it failed in some way. Um, that, you know, whether it's the, the Iowa loss, the Purdue loss, those kinds of games, um, they something deficient in them um, that they didn't solve kept them out of the playoff. And then when they get in the playoff, um, they've more often than not, they haven't won a national championship. Now, you know, the, the, again, perspective is important. I don't think just this, this five year, six year span is a huge drought by any means, but they're not winning those playoff games. So um, I think that's probably what turns the knife a little bit, right? That like, well, um, that's a silly thing to say when Ohio state keeps beating Michigan, you can, you can say that to kind of make yourself feel better if you're a Michigan fan. But I think Ohio state fans who have those expectations are also kind of like, eh, that's that is sort of what's happening, though, right, Stephen? Uh, I don't think it's to that extreme that they should be the people who have that billing. Maybe that billing fits Oklahoma better. They've been in four times and have one win to show for it, including the last three seasons. While Ohio State, since this has existed, they've gotten in three times. They got blown out, won a national championship, and lost. And we don't need to you know rehash that. But I don't know if the feeling of they get in the playoff and they lose necessarily fits them the best in this situation. But maybe I'm mishearing it because I think it's, isn't it two parts? It's they're supposed to get in every year. And then when they do get get in, in, yeah. So it's half of it is that they're not getting in as often as they're supposed to. Right. So that's the take. Yes. And it's the idea of whether that, how much that should upset an Ohio state fan to hear that from, from a Michigan person. Um, I, if I, and I'm not an Ohio State fan, I'm an Ohio State journalist, and so I won interesting games, whatever the preface I always give. Um, if I was an Ohio State fan and a Michigan fan said that to my face, I might pop them. Because this is one of the most aggravating things, I think, in life. And it happens all the time at the moment. And it's moving goalposts. There is nothing more frustrating then people moving the goalposts on you of like, okay, well, I thought it's like we're trying to do this, and now it's like, oh, no, no, now we're trying to do this. You claim this, but now this is the threshold, and here's what I mean by that. There have been enough times in recent years when Michigan and Michigan fans, and often rightly so, 
especially since Harbaugh's been back, leading up to that game in late November, have behaved as if Ohio State and Michigan are on the same level, have behaved as if Michigan is right there with Ohio State, have behaved as if they should be treated as equals in many ways, and that this is Michigan's year. There isn't that much of a talent gap. Like, like here we go. This is Michigan's time. And so this kind of comment from anybody around Michigan is an admission that Michigan is not on Ohio State's level. And it's like, well, yeah, you're better than us, but you lose in the playoff. And it's like, okay, if that's your take, then don't talk to me the last weekend in November and act like you're at Ohio State's level. Because if your criticism is like, well, of course you beat us, because if the expectation is you should be in the playoff every year, that means you beat Michigan every year. So if that's how you're going to rip Ohio State, then do not talk to me in November and act like you're any kind of equal because now you're judging us on playoff success because guess what nobody judges Michigan on? Playoff success because if Michigan made the playoff, it would be a miracle. So that would absolutely grind me as a fan. And the idea that this person, weeks after hearing this, it's still under their skin, that is why. And that is like a disingenuous thing that people do in life all the time, that you try to hold somebody to one standard. And as soon as they meet that standard, you raise the standard. And it's like, okay, so, oh, so now this is it? So this to me is the most, the kind of the most frustrating thing there is. And maybe, you know, when Michigan has had its lack of success against Ohio State, maybe this is all you've got. But it's not a criticism. And also the idea of, and it's why I never liked Ohio State fans being frustrated and upset in 2006 and 2007 about losing national title games. It's like, ugh, all we do is lose national title games. It's like, oh, you mean all you do is have a chance to win the national title and then not win it? That is not criticism. That is not failure. That is being in the arena and taking a shot at it. So, like, I just totally, like, personally, I could feel this kind of thing happening that this would, this would make my blood boil in anything. When you reach a level of achievement and then the criticism somebody has for you is like, well, sure, you guys have a really good podcast, but how come you never win any awards for it? And it's like, well, that's not, you know what I mean? Do you guys understand? Like, that is one of my most frustrating things in life when people act that way. Yeah, especially if it's coming from somebody who is basically underlyingly admitting that they're beneath you. Yeah, I mean, I would be like, I'm sorry, I, we're, we're, I'm over here, I'm in the playoff discussion over here with Alabama yeah. and Clemson fans. Like, go go to the second tier discussion. Go have a Capital One Bowl discussion and let me know when you want to come hang out in the playoff group because you're not anywhere close to this right now. So I don't care what you think. It just like, I, it makes me sound like I'm like being an Ohio State fan here, but it's just the idea of that kind of argument that makes me so mad. Nathan, do you disagree or what do you think of that? No, I, I see what you're saying. I just say, I just think it's, it's maybe the way that a Michigan fan would, in response to an Ohio State fan, would say, okay, yeah, you beat us, but don't pretend that you're in that, that next tier up. You still are that third team in that list. Well, they're clearly in the next tier up, but they're not at the top of that tier. That's what I'm saying. Right, yeah. right, right. The, 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 as we talked about before, 
Alabama, Clemson are still up there. Don't maybe talk about yourself in that. But again, we're talking. I don't know what leg they have to stand on to say that. I know it's it's the one thing you would say, like in any relationship, right? You find the one if you want to make somebody, uh, if you really want to make somebody upset, you'll find the one thing that really gets at them, whether or not it's it's fair or not. But it's but it's like it's one of those things that's like you know, if you're at the gym with a guy, and it's like, oh yeah, well, sure, you can bench press more than me, but how come? You only finish second in Ohio's powerlifting competition. You're not the strongest guy in Ohio. You're only the second strongest guy in Ohio. So I don't care if you can bench press more than me. It's like, dude, that is not the conversation. I'm kicking your butt right now. All right. I just sort of like to talk about feeling angry. I like to – you guys, I think I've said That's this That's a surprise. I have fake arguments in my head all the time. That things like I almost wish I could get in an argument with people about. So this is an imaginary. This almost like makes me want to like dress up and like paint my face scarlet and gray and have this imaginary argument with a Michigan fan. Not because I'm an Ohio State fan, but because I find that kind of argument has so many holes in it. I feel like I could. And now I would want to make that person cry about their fandom, about their life, about their personal view on the world about how everything about their life, they don't even understand how it's supposed to work. It just, I just want to attack somebody because the fundamental, your argument is so fundamentally flawed. I don't even care what the topic is. It's the style of argument that makes me want to scream in your face until you cry. We'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, now we're going to talk about what we heard from Gene Smith and possible plans uh, for the fall Overall vibe, though, we had about a 45-minute conversation on a conference call with Gene Smith on Wednesday. Nathan, did you – what was your overall vibe? And I sent out my immediate thoughts to the texters after this happened, if you want to be part of that and get our immediate reaction to stuff like that, 614-350-3315. It's a 14-day free trial, 4 bucks a month after that. Test it out. You send that text. You get a link back about how to sign up. 14 days. See what you think. Did you what what was your overall vibe of did you come away from that believing a season was any more possible any less possible did it change your thinking at all on how you viewed what's going to happen with Ohio State this season I think you do have to have a little bit more cautious optimism that a season will happen after that conversation um and after other things we've been hearing just seeing what the NCA Division 1 Council voted yesterday um, seeing some of the other developments around the country, it seems more plausible, right? But I don't jump to the to the point that some people are, which is, well, now that we're talking about how many people are going to be in the stadium, that means we've moved past whether there's going to still be a season. I think that's still very much in doubt. I think there still is a question as to whether there's going to be college football played this fall. I just think that the percentage chance of no football uh, is decreasing or the – the, the odds that we will have is increasing, however you want to look at that. Like it's, it's be, I think it's becoming more likely that we're going to have some altered version. It might be a shortened season, fewer people or no people in the stands, whatever. But I, I think there'll be some kind of football this fall. But I, I think as Gene Smith points out, you know, he's getting questions about what happens when somebody tests positive, what happens in, in other circumstances. And his answer to a lot of those is, A, um, that's not for the AD to say in a lot of ways, but B, we're, they're still not even really to the point where they're thinking too in-depth about some of those questions because there's still so many other hurdles to cross. So I thought it was a significant – I came away 
from that conference call believing far more that there was a possibility of having a football season this fall. I don't think it's going to be 12 games. I don't think it's going to look normal. But here's why I think that. I felt like before there were like multiple things that could be a roadblock to a college football season, such as we don't want to play if there aren't fans in the stands, such as we're not going unless every school is ready at the same level, um, such as um, we need to go by a certain date, and if we can't get it figured out, we're not going to go. I feel like Gene, and Gene is a leader on this stuff. And I just want to say, I, I, I mean, again, you guys know where I stand in Ohio State. I'm not a butt kicker on Ohio State. I just think Gene's been on top of this stuff. It feels like that they, they are are really investigating every nook and cranny of this. And Gene is a leader on the national college football scene, and I, and it, it feels like they're in, they're thinking about everything and i thought that's part of it nathan right is that he talks so much about some specific plans and even the idea and this was a headline that you wrote and others wrote that they've discussed the idea of what it would look like to have 20,000 people in ohio stadium instead of 100,000 that is a specific kind of plan that shows forethought that shows they're not just talking in hypotheticals they're talking about nitty gritty stuff but part of the deal is you have to start getting into the nitty gritty because that's not a thing you can figure out overnight. So I do think some of it is they have to plan for a maybe, but the idea of them making all the plans can maybe give you the impression that a season is a yes when actually they're just doing the plans because you have to have them just in case. So that's a side note. Do you agree with that idea that maybe – Man, it's like, well, Ohio State's going to do this and this and this and this. They're ready to go. It doesn't mean they're ready to go. It just means they have to be ready in case to go. Right. Well, it, even for the the return of the the voluntary return of the players on June 8th, um, I, you know, I asked Gene Smith a question, basically asking, you know, why are you doing this instead of just letting everybody stay at home? And he's because I thought the answer he would give was the one he gave, which is, well, here's why we think it's actually safer for those players to come back. But what else does he say in the context of, of talking about that? He's like, hey, I'm not above shutting this thing down again if, if things start to go bad. I think this is, this is all still about um, – it, I think he even used the word. It's like sequencing, right? Like there has to be you're, – you're, you're just checking these boxes off as you get to each one. And if you hit a roadblock again, then you have to reassess and potentially correct. Um, but they're getting the positive momentum they want to be able to do some of these things. And and I think you're right. I think it's also like uh, he he when he was asked about um, fans in the stands, and you know he said like the big headline thing of like, well, there may only be twenty to twenty two thousand, um, and then has to kind of come back later and say, well, actually, if they if they change the um, the the guidelines for distancing, it could actually be more like forty to fifty thousand, which is still only half capacity, but but is it, it's a pretty significant difference. So that's still what we're talking about right now. I feel like a lot is still on the table, and they're doing kind of their due diligence. They're farther along in being able to do that due diligence. And we talked to him back in April, even though even though now he's still saying, well, some of these things I can't answer. He was even farther away from being able to answer a lot of those questions back then. And now, as just as you get closer to the season and some things start getting peeled back, I think you have to start naturally just having had more conversations and, and putting more things in place to be ready for this thing, even if it's not inevitable, it's just potentially eventual happening. 
So, but back in the beginning, Gene was hung up on the idea of like, I don't know if we can play without fans, and he's come a long way on that. And it's it's about information and about being open minded. But I, but my point, my main point is, I feel like there were other previous roadblocks that might have kept them from playing. And another one is, what if there aren't classes on campus? Can you have a season then? But there are, and Ohio State has not announced this yet. But I think like Notre Dame announced, they're coming back. Like they're going to have at least some on-campus classes in the fall that that there was some idea of like well if nobody's at college how can we have the players at college when no other students are there um i actually double checked with gene because that specific question did not come up and i i use my questions on something else he said he basically is saying well we we need to have something on campus to play but he sort of it's sort of felt like he's sort of anticipating that so to me in the end the only thing that would prevent them from playing at least a modified schedule at this point, the only issue is player safety. And by player, everybody around the football program, the safety of those people. And of course, that's the primary thing. But I felt like before it wasn't the only thing. And I feel like now that is the only thing that's stopping them because they have, they have adjustments ready for everything else. And so when you're down to player safety, of course you don't know. And now the thing to me that's happening is it feels like college football is now tracking the same as society. Whereas before it felt like there was enough of a complication with amateur sports, with college sports, that maybe that would be a little behind society, right? But we're at a point where stuff's opening up. Listen, man, if we have a huge spike in cases again, they're going to shut stuff down again, Yep. right? So like to have that be the caveat, it's like, yeah, well, in life too. So, yeah, now you can go to the dentist or go get your hair cut or get ready to go to a restaurant. But if a month from now, the positive test rate is back, is at 20% instead of at 5%, if we're having 5,000 deaths a day across the country instead of 1,500, it's going to change. So that caveat, it's not a college football caveat anymore. It's like we have to see if we can do it safely, but that's where everybody is. And I think that's of a core, of course. That's the same for everything, but I think that's it. So to me, that's a lot of progress. And But when you then get, get down to the nitty-gritty of how can they be safe, they're talking about not having groups of larger than 10 people, like sort of working out in the woody at the same time. It's like here we are in the middle of May, late May, and they're talking about, well, we can't have more than 10 people together in the building, and you've got to get to – 22 people on a field together, smashing their bodies together, practicing during the week all together by September. And right now we're at no more than 10 people lifted weights. That is a long way to come, but that again is only an issue about the health and safety of the people involved. You don't have to get to 22 by September. You have to get to 100 by September, right? I mean, 150 when you're including staff and managers and athletic trainers and everybody involved. I mean, that's where we're talking about, right? There's still a pretty significant um, bridge to cross there. Um, The actual quote that he said, he said at the very end, after he'd gone through all of these things that very largely were positive and got kind of, I think, reported as pretty positive things, but the context he still puts at the end of it, if, quote, if you can't put kids in position to play the game in a safe way, all those things are moot. It doesn't matter what they're talking about with a reduced schedule. It doesn't matter what they're talking about with um, giving people temperature checks. If you can't, if they can't find a way to actually play football without worrying about people giving each other coronavirus constantly, 
then the, none of this is going to happen. And he even said that in relation to the, the question about playing in the, the lesser capacity. He, he said, um, I struggled with it in the beginning, um, and I, but as I continue to have conversations and becoming more comfortable with that, if that's where we end up, I do think that we can accommodate it. Still, for me, it's an interesting challenge to think. We can create an environment for players who are in contact physically to be safe, but couldn't come up with a strategy to create an environment for a certain number of fans. But I can get there if that's ultimately what we do. I think what he's kind of saying is that, and, and he said this in, in relation to something else, that we're still learning a lot more about this virus. And so we, 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 still, we still think in May with great urgency about August and September. I think we're probably going to know a lot more on June 20th than we do on May 21st. Um, it's just that as you get close to the season, the urgency does build. And, and my answer to that is like, yeah, duh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not, and I'm not at all, that's not like, but it's like, yes, of, of, of course. So it's like, I mean, the of course discussions, are, I mean, like are, are, you know, yeah. So I, it's not that. That's why I've been, I think it's like, that's why I'm still being, I think there's, there is kind of a difference right now between the people who are re- talking about this in one context. They hear any kind of positive thing. And I think some of the other context of what he's saying is getting left out here a little bit. I thought because someone had a headline of, of sort of about the second quote, someone texted us and said, oh, look at this headline. And it was about Gene saying, I don't know how you get to the safety thing. And I thought that was incorrect because I thought he said 10 things that were like, we can figure this out. 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 But then the question is, but I don't know how we still have to figure out the safety of the players. But, but I mean, like, that's the safety of society right i mean like we have to figure out do we know well we don't know how to figure out that people can be around each other it's like we're trying it but we don't know so i mean it's like yes of course that's the underlying thing i just felt like there are a lot of complicating factors to all this and i actually disagree with his point about i still don't know how we can make it you can make it safe for the players but we couldn't make it safe for the fans we're distancing the fans, but we're having the players run into each other. It's because you can control the group of players. It's because you can't control the 20,000 strangers or the 100,000 or 80,000 or 50,000 strangers. It's the control group. It's not about how close they're sitting. It's that what are they doing on a daily basis the rest of the week when they're not in Ohio Stadium? And if you have 150 players and personnel and staff that you are constantly testing and constantly monitoring – and you're playing a game against 150 players and staff who are being constantly tested and constantly monitored, and you know the ins and outs of everything about their personal health, of course you can make things safer for them than you can for thousands and thousands of people who then go back to their homes and back to their lives, and you don't know what they're doing. Unless we're at a point where we have contact tracing, like South Korea across the country, where basically you know every single person in the country who has it, and who they've interacted with, and there, well, there's no way we're going to get to that, then it's much easier to be in control of your group, regardless of what the activity is. So like when Gene says, I don't understand that, it's like, well, I can explain it to you. It's that. But still, you have to make it safe. It, you have to say, well, just because we test you and we know what you're doing during the week and we know who you're around, you're in some kind of bubble here. Um, we still have to keep you safe. So I get it. I'm not downplaying that. I just think that like, I mean, if that's, you know, and it's like, I don't know. It's just like, hey, Nathan, do you want to go to lunch? And so I, I can go to lunch with you today as long as my house isn't on fire. 
It's like, yeah, okay. Well, if your house is on fire, I get it. You're going to have to call and cancel. So that is a baseline thing. There has to be a baseline safety, but there's a million other things to think about. Yeah, and I, you're right. And I, I would just say that I, I think kind of what you said before too is true though, because even when you, you can do everything you can to quarantine and and isolate and test and all that stuff. But if it if it tricks trickles in to one player, then what does that do to the whole thing? It, it, it upsets the whole enterprise. It doesn't even have to be an Ohio State player. It can be in a player somewhere else, somebody they've already played, somebody they're about to play. There, there are still just a lot of things that can I, – I, I'm not on board for this being like a complete open shot to having a football season, but obviously the momentum is there. These are the important first steps, and I think it's going to be interesting to kind of watch – how do things get monitored? How, you know, what does happen when inevitably somebody does show symptoms or have, um, or test positive, what does that do for whatever team that is, whatever athletic program that is, how do they handle it? What lessons do we learn from that? It's just, it's, it's because it is May instead of March now that does create a greater sense of urgency to kind of figure out what the next step is. What do you think about – let's just get a little, little nitty-gritty of the schedule and stuff. Gene was basically talking about he would be okay as long as you maybe played like eight games, say an eight-game fully conference schedule. But he said, I'd rather play ten, five home, five away. They're thinking about the money they make on those home games, even though – excuse me, it's definitely going to be reduced. Um, he certainly seemed very open to me to the idea that like the Oregon game might go by the wayside. He also did not have interest in flipping that and taking it in Ohio this year and Oregon next year. And it wasn't really a safety issue. It was more like, well, I don't want to take the home game where I only get 20,000 fans instead of 100,000 fans. I don't want to right. – the timing happens to be that Oregon's supposed to go this year. So I don't, want to, I don't want to blow that. I mean, to me, there's certainly somewhere in there where you can just agree to split both gates, you know, and, and rather than normally if it's like Ohio State takes its gate, Oregon takes its gate, you enter a world where – if if somehow you play this year, that the home team is getting screwed on the money. So I don't that, that was like a, a secondary factor for me that I hadn't necessarily thought of. It's like, well, even if you could play it at Oregon, would Oregon be like, yo, how come you get your full game next year and we made one fifth or one tenth of it this year? That doesn't seem fair. Um, I just feel like that that is the most difficult thing, but what, what do you think, Nathan, of – and we sort of talked about it before, but of, a, of maybe a Big Ten-only schedule of maybe there's a way that you could play Bowling Green there in state. It's easier to play Bowling Green than it is to play, you know, Iowa. But the one thing Gene said is the idea of we're a conference. We have the same rules. We know how the facilities work. We play these teams all the time. It seemed like that comfort level, that same set of guidelines, that was important to him. It's not really just geography or not even geography primarily. It's that we know the deal and we can trust our conference mates in this uncertain time. It is, I think, tricky, um, right? Because, I mean, if you, okay, you play a 10-game season. So does that mean everybody – adds one conference game and you just play within the conference and who are you adding then? Or do you play one non-conference game? If easy. you're playing in eight games, easy fix. Ten, if you go 10 game conference, easy fix. You just adjust it. You just yeah. add a, add a cross division team. And if you're playing an eight game conference schedule, who do you drop? You drop your, one of your cross division ones. I mean, but, but, but that doesn't always line up, but it, so I guess you'd have to just re, would you remake a whole schedule? No, 
There's no – well, I mean, you'd have to adjust some stuff, but, I mean, there's no continuity to the cross-division games in the Big Ten. It's not like they do it based on right. let's try to have the three cross-division games for everybody be against one good team, one mediocre team, and one crappy team. It's all random anyway, so you just figure it out. Just wax – I mean, you, you add somebody or wax somebody, as long, and then you prioritize your in-division games. Easy. So they basically just be kind of like bye weeks that are – that unfold from that then. If you only play 10 games, so it's, I mean, it's really, it, I could do it in five minutes, but I think the reason if you're, I think to me, the reason he maybe is saying stuff, I think you push back, right? I mean, maybe you start, if you're only Probably. playing 10 games, yeah. I don't think you start September 1st and have bye weeks. I think you start September 20th and give yourself more time to get ready or you start September 1st and end early because all these college campuses are having ideas of we're going to end at Thanksgiving. We're not going to have people come back. That if if possibly the more dangerous time for the flu for the coronavirus to come back is is when we get into the heart of the winter more. Um, I think it's I think the logistics of it. I think Mark I guess Mark Rudner isn't the Big Ten guy doesn't does the schedules anymore. But I think the Big Ten schedule maker could make that work immediately. It's more the it's more the theoretical. Are you okay with the idea of it? I think. Yeah, and I think his, you know, he he did express some real concern for the Bowling Greens and the Buffaloes of the world, and that's not his primary concern. He has to look out for Ohio State and the Big Ten first, but he's been a guy who's been an AD at those kinds of levels, and he understands what even one home or one road football pay date means for Bowling Green, and. I, 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 I think that is, you know, we mentioned this at the very beginning when we were very first talking about all this, that that if you start talking about, you know, not having football or having even just less football this fall, it's potentially crushing for some of these lower level athletic departments, even just down to the, the bottom of FCS. So um, that is something that has to be addressed because I know that we've talked about Power 5 autonomy and we have, I think, some mixed opinions about that even within the panel of this podcast. But I think it is, it's going to be unfortunate if you start to see football programs or other athletic opportunities get taken away because of this. It's not anybody's fault, really. It's the, it's the, it's the circumstance of this pandemic, but that's where the financial reality is potentially heading if you start playing only an eight or 10 game football season. There was some uh, discussion of this. Um, about the idea of it, and with some of these contracts, if the game's not played, would the would the team getting paid still expect a payday? Like, is the coronavirus enough of a uh, of a reason to get out of a contract like that? The um, force majeure. I think I said it right. I'm French. I should say that. Well, better, yeah, is the thing. So and Buffalo, I- like, but would Buffalo be like, hey, man, Ohio State, it's okay if we don't play. As long as you still pay us. Well, I think I think they probably would say that, um, but I don't know what Ohio State would say about that. And I think that that is one of the tricky wrinkles here, right? Because if Ohio, if 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 teams say we're going to go to a ten game schedule, we're only going to play conference games, and we're just not going to play our non conference games, and we're not going to we're not going to fulfill those contracts. More importantly, right? We're not going to pay for those games. I that I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I think that becomes an interesting legal argument because then if I'm Buffalo or Bowling Green or whoever else is getting played uh, from these non-conference games in the Big Ten, I can say, hey, hold on a second. Like, you're playing this other game, but you won't play us. You won't pay us. Um, I don't Legally, I think that could get messy. I think the legal case would be cram it, Mac. Like, l- that doesn't listen, always work. It doesn't always work. 
if the Power Five said you're going to sue us because we couldn't play you during a pandemic, and now you're going to demand your $1.3 million for a game that we're not playing and that we're not making any money off of, congratulations, we're never playing you again. We'll just play each other. Good luck funding your athletic departments without a Power Five school handing you a million bucks to come get your butt kicked twice a year. Congratulations on your but, lawsuit. But I mean, I think that it's it's gonna be. I, I don't know how if if even just missing one of these games or two in a given year, whatever it's gonna be for schools like this, will be devastating enough that it's gonna alter that landscape pretty maybe irrevocably anyway. Yeah. Well, stuff happens, man. Um, I mean, I, we, like I said, uh, like I said, Ohio State can't be that isn't their first priority. No, that, that can't be the first thing they're thinking about. But it is just one of the potential unfortunate consequences of all this that's going to come rolling downhill. And as you said, Gene was at Eastern Michigan. He was at Iowa State. He cares about this kind of stuff. Um, I would say on the list of priorities, it is last, last. They have their own people to pay. They have their own sports to fund. Whether or not Buffalo gets its lacrosse team funded is way behind whether Ohio State funds its own lacrosse team, you know? So, like, I just – it is – it is. I get it. I get it that it matters to those schools. But, again, if you can't if, – if a one-time $1 million payment for a football game is, like, the end of your athletic department, I think you're playing in the wrong – you're doing the wrong thing anyway. Um I don't know. I thought it was good. I was I, like, I hate, and we haven't talked about it much in this podcast because I hate the speculation. I thought it was pretty meaty. I thought in general, I thought Gene, I thought we got a much, we thought we got a pretty good picture of, of where they are and where they are is much more advanced than where they were six weeks ago. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was just, there were at the time that we were getting to him in like April, things are still pretty fresh and I, I do sort of believe at the time when he was saying, like, hey, I've got, like, immediate problems. I haven't really thought about X, Y, or Z yet. That's still farther down the line. I'm not saying I'm, I don't think it's important or that it isn't on my list. I'm just saying I'm, I've got a machete and I'm hacking through some pretty thick stuff right in front of me. I mean, we still were in the middle of, you know, what was going on with spring sports at that point. Um, and, like, a resolution for some of those things, let alone what was going to happen in the fall. So now that all that stuff is kind of cleared out, even though you do still have some important day-to-day things, I think it's they've, they've just been able to sit down and, and strategize more and have more conversations and learn more about things and then also just kind of see what's happened in the past few weeks. And, um, you know, the, 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 the jury's still out because I think you're still you're seeing positive things in some of the numbers out there. I think we've also seen negative things in some of the numbers that have happened just in the last week or two about what's going on with this virus. So um, I'm we're all just kind of, watching it unfold and, and, and hoping that it, it continues on a positive track. Cause I think, you know, he, his number one thing, I, and I agree with that. I mean, I think everyone still would prefer just to have a 12 game football season this fall. Um, I don't think that's even off the table yet. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's the, this, this reopening that's going to happen in a few weeks where players can start to come back voluntarily. Um, that that is a, that is an important first step because I think it gives you it, get, it lets them kind of play out some scenarios in a in a in a small sample size of what can happen when when the larger group gets back together. All right, I know, I know you love when I do this to you. Predictions on what's going to happen. Here's my prediction. <laughs> I'll start. 
And I'll start with the caveat of like, if stuff gets sideways, nothing's going to happen in anything. So the, the caveat right, to everything right, right. of like, if, if, if the country doesn't have a handle on this, then our issue is not college football. Our issue is life. So that's still out there. We don't know how the, the country is going to react to a reopening. And we don't know what that's going to do to the number of cases. And then we don't know what, if, if there is an increase in the number of cases, we don't know what the societal reaction to that will be. So that is layered on top of all of this. Assuming we continue on a similar path to what we appear to be on at the moment, my prediction is a 10-game season, all conference games. They add the conference game. They add one because you just feel more comfortable with your own people. Um, they start maybe a week late just to still figure out some stuff. The rest of the schedule proceeds pretty much as normal. Um, I think very possible maybe that there's not a championship game and maybe you make one, you make it one division that's all 14 teams and whoever like finishes with the best record is the best record and you have tiebreakers in place in case there's a tie with one or two losses and that there is some version of an expanded playoff, maybe only six, maybe eight, just because um, that would ensure that all the conference champs, the five conference champs are guaranteed to get in. You tell the conference, just figure out a champ however you want to figure it out. They're all in. And then we're either going to have one more spot or three more spots for anybody else. But that that helps solve some of the things of, well, if there's no non-conference game. So that is my prediction. Ten, all-conference, playoff adjustment, possibly no no conference championship games. Nathan, what's your prediction? I think that's probably where I am now as well. Um, Ten games, probably all-conference. Um, I think that's like, well, let's just say that 10 games, all conference. Um, I'm, I'm not sure yet what I feel about attendance. I, I, I think it seems like they're going to find a way. I think they're going to find a way to get something done, but I think they're going to, there's still, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Because we're trying to project. I mean, right now, yes, things are opening up, but I'm, I'm not one of the people who's really participating in that opening up. I don't think you are either not um, based on the way that you've been talking about this from the beginning. Um, I'm still pretty much a shelter in place hermit for the most part. So I think there's going to still be an abundance of caution. And I think as, as Gene Smith talked about yesterday, he's asking for kind of some uniformity and some national policies to help kind of decide these things, especially as it relates to, so that there isn't an inequality and a competitive inequality. And I think that may come into play a little bit in that because, Revenue starts to become a competitive inequality um, condition potentially. So um, I think there's going to be vastly reduced attendance. And um, I think you would have to expand the playoffs in some way. Um, And I think you'd probably have to, you'd have to, you'd have to do at least six. And I think eight would probably make more sense because I, as we've talked about before, I think that's where we end up anyway. I think this may be just the thing that gets us to eight. And then I don't know if we ever go back. I think there may still be eight when this thing goes back to full blast next fall. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, all right. Appreciate you guys listening. Try the text 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. We're doing this five days a week. You know that by now. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Lesser, still not short. Big Wednesday pod. Um, we appreciate you guys so much hanging out with us. 
We will be back uh, with a Friday pod. We're going to have Adam Rittenberg from ESPN talking about where Ohio State people rank on his list of the best coaching hires uh, of the past couple decades. And then, of course, Monday, mark it down Monday with Nathan Baird coming at you. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Buckeye Talk. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>